This is Eighth Day Encouragement, a recap of the Sunday service, offering hope and faith from the Church of the Holy Trinity, Manhattan. You can find us online at holytrinity-nyc.org. The term compassion fatigue came into use, especially in the 1990s, to try to name a kind of burnout that often is experienced by caregivers. Not only the professional ones, like therapists or doctors or nurses or social workers, but also volunteers and those who simply feel overwhelmed by their own sense of compassion, uh, either for those uh, close by, family members or friends or spouses, or those far away. What happens is that as emotional energy pours out of a person in the direction of others, even for animals, one eventually feels empty. One can be angry or depressed or want to isolate or to question the usefulness of one's work or even to begin to develop physical ailments that basically take on the stress and pain of others. If we're in such a situation, perhaps we can hear the words from Isaiah, from today's Old Testament reading, be strong and do not fear, but we hear them only faintly as though from a long, long way away. Well, given that we are navigating yet another phase of the pandemic, we've been pummeled by storms and disasters, we're bombarded with news round the clock, and this week sees the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks of 9-11, we might be feeling a little tired ourselves. We might even be feeling a bit of compassion fatigue as though we can't possibly pray for one more thing or try to get our minds around one more difficult issue. If so, all this would be understandable. And though I'm probably on risky ground to try to apply a 20th century psychological concept to Jesus, I can't help but notice in him a little bit of compassion fatigue, especially in the first story of today's gospel. Jesus is in Tyre, north of Galilee, a long way from home, really. He's moved beyond the familiar, out of those towns where people seem to know who his mother and father are. He's in a northern area that today would be a part of Lebanon. And though Jesus seems to be trying to get away for a little while, a little downtime, no sooner does he get to this out-of-the-way place than a woman seeks his help. Mark, the evangelist, goes out of his way to show that this woman is foreign. She is different. She has a different language, different religious uh, principles and backgrounds. Different people are all around. She begs Jesus to cast out a demon from her little girl. But Jesus shrugs her off, repeating what must have been an expression of his day. Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Well, this probably sounded as rude to this Syrophoenician woman as it sounds to us. Jesus here is implying that the children are, of course, the chosen children of Israel. But Jesus understands his own mission, it seems at this point, as being only for Israel, only for the Jews, not for others, not for foreigners. And so this woman's problems are simply outside his purview, beyond his job description. 
What's more is he's probably tired. He's already healed and taught and been faithful and he just doesn't have any more to give. But the woman snaps back. It may not be fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, but even the dogs under the table get to eat the children's scraps. Well, I imagine Jesus probably burst out laughing. (laughs) He burst out laughing at the impertinence of this woman, at the sharpness of this woman, and through it, He hears the Holy Spirit. He's awakened and given a second wind of sorts. By the time of the second part of the gospel, Jesus seems to have had time to think about this encounter with the foreign woman, the Syrophoenician woman, and the healing of her daughter. And now Jesus is a little more careful. He's a little more of what we would call in our day mindful Jesus returns to more familiar territory in Galilee, and again, some people bring to him a man who has a hearing problem and a speech impediment. But let's look at what Jesus does. First, Jesus sets boundaries. He takes the man away from the crowd so there's a quiet place. They can talk. They can relate. Jesus doesn't fall pressure to other people's expectations. Jesus and the man in front of him can be present with each other and God. Next, Jesus grounds himself. In other words, he gets physical in particular. He embodies his faith and healing energy by using touch. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. He spits and touches the man's tongue. No social distancing here. But that's not the point. The point is that Jesus is grounded right here with the man, one human to another, both available and open to God's power and presence. And then third, Jesus strengthens his connection with God. Not for a moment does Jesus think that he himself has the power to heal, but instead Jesus refers to God. Jesus prays. Jesus prays, Ephatha, be opened. And in so doing, he's connecting with God, the source of healing and strength and love. Jesus is acknowledging his own limitations and being clear that if healing is to come, it comes from God and God alone. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that we have to do it all ourselves, that it's only going to get done if we do it. Well, some have suggested this is a kind of functional atheism, That sounds rough, but it's what it is. It's functional atheism. We act as though there's no God because we live and work and stress as though God is not a part of what we're doing or who we are. Here in the second story of healing, Jesus remembers that it is God who does all things. And guess what? Healing comes. In contemporary language, if we're to look at what Jesus does in this second story, Jesus basically takes care of himself so that he can take care of someone else. This might seem contradictory to us, this idea of being selfish in order to be selfless, but that's the way it works. The Quaker writer Parker Palmer notes, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to our true self, our authentic self, and give the care it needs, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. 
So let's review. <laughs> if we're feeling a little tired of all the pain and the suffering in the world and not sure what to do, if we're finding ourselves being a little impatient with other people's needs, if we're closing ourselves off to others, first of all, check our boundaries. See what we're responsible for and what we're not responsible for. What can I do right here, right now? And second, get grounded. Remember where I am. Remember who I am. Third, connect with God. Pray, 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 and pray. And through checking our boundaries, getting grounded and reconnecting with God, we can begin to move toward renewal. There are a number of wonderful stories and sayings about the 18th century Polish rabbi Zusia. And my favorite is that one day Rabbi Zusia was standing before his congregation and he was imagining what life would be like after death. He said to them, when I die and have to present myself before the celestial tribunal, they will not ask me, Zusia, why were you not Moses? Because I would say Moses was a prophet and I'm not. They will not say, Zusia, why were you not Jeremiah? For I would say, Jeremiah was a writer, and I'm not a writer. They will not say, why were you not Rabbi Akiba? For I'll tell them Rabbi Akiba was a great teacher and scholar. I'm neither of those. But then they will say, Zusia, why were you not Zusia? And to this, I will have no answer. In other words, we're not called to be other people, not even the, the best idea of ourselves that we might carry around with us. We're called to be ourselves, our full and true selves that God has created us to be. Especially when our hearts are heavy, may the Spirit remind us of Jesus who says to each one of us, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. At the 11 o'clock a.m. Holy Eucharist, parishioner and trumpet player Charlie Johnson joined our, our organist Cleve Kirsch for an opening rendition of the traditional Navy hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save.
You've been listening to Eighth Day Encouragement. The eighth day is a Monday after the seven days of the week, but the eighth day also stands as a new creation outside the pattern of the usual seven. And so the eighth day symbolizes resurrection, hope, and the possibilities for new life. I'm John Bedingfield, the priest and rector at the Church of the Holy Trinity, Manhattan. I hope you'll come and visit us in person one day, but you can also worship with us through Facebook Live, follow us on YouTube, and learn more at holytrinity-nyc.org. God bless you this week and always.